Take your Bible with me this morning and find your place in the Song of Solomon, please. Song of Solomon. I was going to make a, a joke, crack a joke about being in this position at this certain time, but you just insert whatever joke you feel would be appropriate. And, uh, and it's tough. I like that song about the Bible. I was thinking while they're singing that, if you've never been accused of worshiping the Bible, you probably don't believe right about the Bible. I think somewhere watching on the live stream, there's some liberal choking on his latte right now. And that brings me joy thinking about it. Thankful for my Bible. King James Bible. The Word of God. And I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved. Outside of the Bible and salvation, it's about all you have that's eternal in this life. And uh, you better things right there. Thank God for a lot of other good things, but thank God for things that never change. We rejoice at that. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. I want to read just a few verses and give you a thought, a very simple thought that the Lord's put on my heart for this morning. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 4. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. And I want to stop reading right there this morning, and I don't really have a good title. I guess I'm just going to call it today a sweet love story. Because that is what we find in... The Song of Solomon, not just in our text, but the entire book. And actually, of course, it's a song. You don't have to go to Bible college to figure out. It's in the title right there. I figured that out right when I started out. It's a song of Solomon. According to 1 Kings chapter 4, the Bible tells us that Solomon was responsible for writing over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs, 1,005 songs. And according to chapter 1, verse 1 of our book this morning, uh, tells us that this is the song of songs. This is the greatest one that he ever had written. Um, this would be Solomon's uh, number one hit right here. This would, if you had a top 10 list of Solomon's songs, this would be the chart topper of all time. We don't have the other 1,000 songs or so, I don't guess, that Solomon had written. Uh, but we're going to take the Bible's word for it. This is the greatest one that he had ever written. And we're not sure exactly why that would be other than that's what the Bible says. But I thought about a couple things about this great book that tells us that uh, and reminds us that this is the greatest song that Solomon had ever written. I thought about, first of all, because of the romance that it purifies. 
the romance that it purifies. I believe that the Song of Solomon is a, a literal story about a real man and a real woman, the shepherd, the Shulamite, the, uh, the, the king, and this woman from Shulam, and uh, Solomon and his bride, and this is their true historical count of courtship and marriage and their life together and all of the turns and twists of, of marriage and life together as a married couple. And I believe we find that and uh, we find, and I always stayed away from the Song of Solomon. This is the, this is the first message I've ever preached from the Song of Solomon. And uh, the reason is, is because it's just a little mushy for me, just to be honest. And I've always thought as a young preacher, I thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay away from that right there. And then as I began to get a little older, and I'm not old yet, but a little bit older, I thought, well, you know what? This is deeper than maybe what I can realize. And so I've always just stayed away from the Song of Solomon. I'm not much for watching people, you know, love on each other and mushy and PDA and all that kind of stuff. And I think you ought to just, you know, go somewhere else and do that somewhere else. But after watching enough uh, people in my office, enough couples in my office yelling and screaming and cussing at one another, you know, it don't bother me near as bad watching. So, well, I'd rather see that than watch them yell at, yell at one another and, uh, and be mad at one another and uh, throwing toasters at each other. I, well, I was going to tell you a story. I'm not going to do that. But no, 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 no. I'll tell you later. But I did get locked in a man's house one time while his wife was on the outside. Anyway, I... Trying to get in. All right, well, I'll tell you that later. I'd rather see couples love on each other, all right, is what I'm trying to say. And by the way, it's not good for a man to touch a woman until they're married. And then it's not just good, it's right. And this book, it's, it's, I believe there's more here to that, but I don't believe there's anything less here than, than the romance that it purifies. It's right. The reality that it pictures, I think, reminds us what a great book this is. I, I believe uh, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, uh, marriage points us to a greater love. It points us to a, a real love, an everlasting love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Can I tell you, there is no greater love than Calvary love. You'll find no greater love than that which is seen on an old rugged cross. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you thankful for the greatest love that ever has been? And I'm thankful for marital love, but I'm so thankful for Calvary love and God's love, the greatest love that you could ever know. And I believe the marriage is the greatest picture, the greatest display to the world, the greatest gospel track that will ever be is the love between a husband and a wife. Calvary proves his love. Then on a practical level, I would say that not only is there a romance that it purifies and a reality that it pictures that is that Christ loves the church and he loves us? But I would say that there is a relationship that it provokes. When you read the Song of Solomon, you see a couple that is in fellowship one with another. They are fellowshipping together. They are enjoying one another's company. And I'm glad that 
Christ loved us so much that He gave Himself for us. But that love does not stop there. There is an ongoing story of love. Our life should be a love story with the Lord Jesus Christ. When my wife and I got married, we didn't say our vows to each other and and put a ring on each other's hand and kiss each other at the altar and then say, well, it's been good, it's been real, maybe we'll see you down the road. Hope to bump into you somewhere sometime. No, 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 we, we, we fellowship together. We wanted to be together. The fellowship is ongoing. There is a continual love story that, that, that goes on. And can I tell you, your story with Jesus ought to be characterized by love. It ought to be a love story. And I tell you, you can't have a love story with Jesus. You can't live your life in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be in love with this world. You do not have to be in love with sin and in love with self. You can live your life. In fact, Jesus said that's the greatest commandment above all commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all your strength. Jude said in these days of apostasy, the greatest thing that we can do is to keep yourselves in the love of God. That's not keeping him in love with us. I'm glad we don't have to do that. But that is keeping ourselves in love with him. And we have to work to do that. There's so many things competing and vying for our affections. We have to, like Paul said to the church at Colossae, set your affections on things above. You have to set them where they need to be set. Your life with the Lord can be a love story. The greatest advice I could ever give you or anybody young, old, it does not matter until the day that you die, the greatest advice you'll ever hear is to stay head over heels in love with Jesus. Everything else in your life flows out of that relationship with the Lord, or it ought to, or you won't be in this thing very long. It's those that have fallen out of love with Jesus that get sideways with each other. It's those that that have fallen out of love with Jesus that get sideways at God. They have bitterness in their heart and unforgiveness and anger and malice and all kind of things. All kind of evil things flow out of a heart that has grown cold. And so we find that our relationship with the Lord can be a sweet love story. I want to give you just a couple things here from this text about a sweet love story with Jesus how his love had an impact on her and how it affected her. Let me give you just a couple things and then I'll take my seat. Number one, let me say this, that I see first of all in the text that his love marked her. It marked her. Look at verse number four, if you will. It says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Well, I love that phrase. I've heard that so many places. It says it here that his banner over me was love. A banner, that's a flag is what that is. That's a marker. That is a a sign of, of representation. And that banner over her life as she comes into this banquet house and I'll let you theologians figure out everything that's taking place and everything that's going on. All I know is a banqueting house is somewhere where you eat, somewhere where you fellowship, somewhere where sweet fellowship uh, can take place and go on. I think if uh, if, uh, we could uh, rephrase it a little bit, we'd call it the fellowship hall. Amen. 
This is where you eat. This is where you fellowship together. And they've come in there. And while she is in there, the Bible says that the banner over her life, over her life is love. What does that mean? What does that say about his love for her and his love and his life? What she's saying is that his love has claimed me publicly. A banner, a flag is not meant to conceal something. It is meant to display something. It is meant to draw attention to something and when she is under his banner what she is saying is he is not ashamed of his love for me he's not ashamed to say that he loves me now he's got a lot of reasons to be ashamed of me brother Randy got a lot of reasons to be ashamed of me but I'll tell you something I'm glad that he's not ashamed to call us brethren I'm glad he's not ashamed of us today and I certainly have no reason this morning to be ashamed of him. It was a two-way street. He was not ashamed of her, but she is proudly marching under that banner. She was not ashamed of his love. And I tell you what we need in these days. We need a generation that will rise up and stand and say, I am not ashamed to stand and say that I love Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his love. I'm glad he's not ashamed of us. Does the world know that you love God? The Bible says that if you do, it'll be known of Him, the same as known of Him. The Bible says that that we're marked by His love. If if you don't have the love of the Father, then then you're not one of His. That's a mark of His. If you don't love God, love each other and love the brethren. Love marks and, and publicly identifies the child of God. When she marched under his banner, she was saying, he claims me publicly. She was saying that he classifies me personally. That was the theme of their relationship. When you see a flag or a banner, it represents something else. When you rally around the flag, when you rally around the banner, it is a mark of commonality. We have something in common. We may have a lot of things uh, 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 not in common, but we can rally around some common things. What thing that she and her bridegroom had in common was their love one for another. That is what marked her life. That was the theme of their story together was love. She was not there under duress. She was not there out of compulsion. She was not there out of obligation. She was there because she loved him. She was there because he loved her. And can I tell you something? When you serve God out of obligation, it is a miserable, miserable existence. The greatest life in all the world is to serve him because you love him. That ought to be the theme of your relationship with the Lord is love. I think some people's life, the banner over their life ought to read obligation. I have to be here. I'm being held hostage against my will. That wasn't the theme of her relationship. Why do you sing? Why do you preach? Why do you go? Why do you give? It ought to be love. That is the theme of our story. It had claimed her publicly. It had classified her personally. I would say that his love had conquered her powerfully. A flag is planted on a place where territory has been claimed, has been been, uh, overtaken, has been uh, possessed. 
It is a marker of possession. And when she marched under his banner of love, what she was saying to the world is, I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. And that price is love. His love conquers me. It controls me. It compels me. Paul said it like this, that he is constrained by the love of God. And yes, we are here by our own free will. But at the same time, do you feel a love that has gripped your heart and has gripped your soul? And it is a love that will not let me go. It has claimed me, conquered by His love. My plans, my dreams, my will, my desires, my possessions, they've all been overtaken by somebody else. It is the love of God that controls us. I would say not only did His love mark her, but I believe that His love, secondly, verse 5, it moved her. Look at verse number 5. Stave me with flagons. Comfort me with apples. For I am sick of love. Not only did His love mark her, but His love moved her. What she's saying in verse number 5 is this. She said, somebody bring me something to drink. That's the flagons. Somebody bring me something to eat. That's the apples. She said, because I think I'm going to be sick. I'm feeling something moving around on the inside, and it ain't the stomach bug. It ain't COVID. She said, I got his love is moving around on the inside. Spurgeon said of that, he said, it is the longing of a soul, not for salvation and not even for the certainty of salvation, but for the enjoyment of present fellowship with him who is her soul's life, her soul's all. It is a panting after communion. That is what she was longing for. His love was making her sick. She had them butterflies flying around on the inside. Now some of y'all, y'all need to go way back. Way, way back. Another dispensation, another eon for you to remember some of them little butterflies flying around on the inside. You know, that's actually, a, that is a natural thing that God put inside of us. That sickness on the inside. In fact, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a name for it. There's a name for this chemical that is uh, released in your brain when you get those feelings of, oh, I'm so in love, I think I'm going to be sick. It's little neurotransmitters firing off inside your head. It's called phenethylamine is what it is. I wasn't smart. I got all this from Joyce Myers. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. The commentaries are great. I'm almost through coloring one of them. It's called phenethylamine. That's God-given. God put that in there. And when you get them feelings of excitement and feelings of feeling, and it just poof, it just start firing off on the inside, and <laughs> you gotta be sick. 
You can also get the same feeling from high doses of chocolate. Did you know that? It's the same thing. It's exactly the same. That's true. I'm not making that up. Joyce said that. High quantities in chocolate. It releases that same chemical in the brain. And so I, I would say uh, to some of you young ladies that you think, you're, you think you're in love. You think, man, he makes me feel you know, sick on the inside or whatever. Of course, I, I have that effect on, on my wife, but for different reasons now, I think. But if you think, just make sure you, you might want to lay off the chocolate for a couple days just to make sure it's real. You could just be, could just be Hershey. It might not be anything else. And guys, I guess I would say to you, if you got somebody you're interested in, you're trying to woo, hey, bring chocolate with you. Let's see, you ain't near as good looking as you think you are. You need all the help you can get. Just keep feeding it to her. Oh, eat another one. Eat another one. It releases that phenethylamine in the brain. And that's what's going on right here. Man, they, 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 they're just excitement and the thrill and the euphoria of, of being associated with his love. And when he walked by, I mean, she just cried. That's one of the reasons I stayed away from this book, all the mushy stuff in there about the way he looks and the way he smells and the way he moves and all this stuff. And it just did something inside of her. And can I say this? I don't care how long you've been saved, whether it's been six months or 60 years. There ought to be something about God. There ought to be something about the Lord that still moves you on the inside. God, help us. This motionless, uh, movelessness Christianity that never does anything for us. I know you can't live on the mountain every day. And I know it's not jubilee every week. But man, there ought to be times when it's exciting in your Christian life. You ought to feel something on the inside. We don't go on feelings, I know that. But I tell you what, I thank God for them feelings. There's days in your marriage where it ain't I do, it's I don't. It's going to be like that in a Christian life, no doubt about that. But I thank God. I thank God for them times. Just a flash here, just a moment there, just a, just a something there. Man, in a song, in a message, and he said, whew, there it is. I think I'm going to be sick. His love. I'm worried about them people who never get moved. Never make a move. The love of God doesn't do anything for them. God help them. I wonder if they're even acquainted with it at all. How can you think about Calvary? How can you think about the blood? How can you think about grace? How can you think about mercy? How can you think about the hell that He went through to scoop you out, scrape you off the bottom, and set you in heavenly places? Christ Jesus, how in the world do you think of that and it not move you somehow, somehow? His love marked her. His love moved her. And let me say this and I'm done. His love mattered to her. Look at verse number 6. Getting a little mushy here. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. Woo, watch out now. Left hand under the head. Right hand around there. They're getting close. I would get Heather up here and show you how to do that, but that would be the last time I ever put my left hand under her head. Be the last time I ever put my right hand on her. <laughs> Kill me. They tell me in these Middle Eastern times, Joyce said that they 
they got these tables a little lower to the ground than what you and I would normally sit at. And they have these pillows that all around, they, they're, they're all around. And so they're more of laying down while they eat, reclining, in a reclining position while they would be eating this meal. And so it seems to me that they just keep getting closer and closer and closer and closer together until they are in this embrace, full fellowship embrace. But I'm interested in verse 7 where it seems to me, I, I take it where the Shulamite woman is continuing to speak here. Verse 7, she says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. You know what she's saying right there? She looks at those other ladies that might be in that banqueting house, possibly serving and aiding in the meal there, those maidens that were there. And she looks at those and she says, she's in an embrace with her groom, don't you mess this up. Don't you interrupt what we have going on. I don't want you to do anything to mess up our fellowship and what we got going on. And no doubt these, these virgins, these daughters of Jerusalem, no doubt they meant something to her. She's an outsider. She's a Shulamite. I'm sure she wanted to fit in with everybody just like anybody would, just like any young lady would want to fit in. And no doubt she's, she's different and she looks different and she's, she, she acts different and talks different from all these ladies right here. There's a desire inside of her to be a part of the group and be a part and be accepted by everybody else. But she looks looks at them and she says, I like you, but I like him more. I love you, but I love him more. I want to be accepted by you and I want to hang out with you, but I want to fellowship with him. His fellowship, his love, his closeness means more to me than anything else in the whole wide world. He had superiority. He had seniority in her life. She cared more about her fellowship fellowship with him than she cared about her fellowship with them. And can I tell you something? The love of God and his closeness and his fellowship, it ought to matter to you. It ought to mean something to you. And so many times we get in a, get in a, 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 a competition. We enter the Lord in a competition with this world. There is no competition. His love outweighs anything this world could ever give. His fellowship is sweeter than anything this world could ever provide. His closeness and his approval and, and, and his uh, sweet embrace ought to mean more than anybody else and anything else in this whole wide world. It's amazing to me the things people break their fellowship with God over. The things that they'll trade in, their closeness with the Lord, the things they'll trade in for that. He's worth more than anything. 
And I know, young people, I know you want to be liked, and I know you want to be accepted, and I know you want to fit in, and I know you want to be a part, and nobody likes to stick out, and nobody likes to be weird. But I'm going to tell you something. When you're at the crossroads, and you got to choose between their fellowship or his fellowship, can I recommend staying with Jesus, just sticking with Jesus 11 out of 10 times? It'll be the best decision that you ever make in your life. You'll never regret staying in fellowship with him. It ought to matter to you. It ought to mean something to you. His superiority speaks of, verse 7, speaks of his sensitivity. Because she says, she speaks to him, she says, that you stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Don't wake him up. Obviously, he's, he's falling asleep in this embrace. She looks over at those daughters of Jerusalem and she says, if you wake him up, I'm going to beat you upside the head. I don't want him to get up. I don't want him to go. I don't want to leave. I don't want this to end. Speaks of how sensitive he... You know, Brother Blue used to teach us that the most sensitive person in your life and in the church is the Holy Spirit of God. He's sensitive. Any, any motion of sin, any volume of rebellion can, can interrupt that fellowship with God. Don't wake him up. You know anybody that's a light sleeper? We have one in our house. He's been with us about six months now. He's a light sleeper. We're used to, all our kids are loud. Well, most of them, my girls, they're like me. We just loud, we yell and holler and scream and cuss and fuss. They don't get that from their mama. If you know, you know, Miss Heather, you know that's true. But they get it from the Simpsons and they get it honest and we, we're used to, I mean, it's been 10 years since we had a baby in our house. We're used to just, we just run in the house and throw things and break things and holler at things and do all kinds of stuff. We come home from school or whatever, the store or whatever, we're just slinging things around and making a lot of noise. But listen, it ain't that way anymore. Because there's somebody sleeping in there. And do you know how hard it is to get a baby back to sleep? I've watched Heather do it a bunch of times. It looks hard. Bless her heart. She really needs some help around the house. Y'all pray for her. Praying that the Lord will send her somebody, send somebody to hell. I tell you what, now my wife's a sweet woman, but don't wake the baby up. <laughs> Sensitive. Just any little thing. Wake them up. She brings in the bear in this verse, the hinds of the field and the, the rows. I'm not a hunter. I, I don't want to hunt. I don't, that's normal for guys to do that. I'm not normal. I, I, don't, I don't like to hunt. I don't want to hunt. I don't want to fish. I don't know why you want to go hunt when there's a Chick-fil-A and just go through the drive. Makes sense to me. I don't but if you want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you want to put on camouflage and everything, try to hide yourself, just get all the paint, all that cut, and then put a bright orange vest on, well, go for it. I don't understand. Spray all kind of weird stuff on. That's just the truth. And one of the things that, it's not just getting out of bed early in the morning and it's not just, but one of the things that really turns me, that turns me off to hunting is you got to be quiet. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be quiet anywhere. I used to get in trouble for talking in church. Now I get paid to do it. Amen. 
Find something you love, you're good at, and get somebody to pay you for it. Amen. Smart, ain't it? Now people ask me to do it sometimes, and they and they fall asleep while I'm doing it. Amen. A twig. Why, why do those? They said, "Be quiet." One twig, one leaf, one movement. You scare them off. I'm gonna tell you something. Our fellowship with the Lord is just that sensitive. It's sensitive. Don't wake them up. Don't stir them up. His fellowship and joining His love meant more to her than anything else. Does it matter to you? Does your closeness to God, does it matter? Does it matter how close you are to the Lord? Can you take Him or leave Him? Can you come to Jubilee or not? Can you worship or not? Can you live for Him or not? Or does it actually mean something to you? Does it actually matter to you? How's your love story with the Lord going? Does His love mark you? Does His love still move you? I can't remember who said it, but I th- maybe G. Campbell Morgan or something. And some of these guys probably know, but somebody said that being, being backslid, being cold on God is one of the highest forms of blasphemy that there is. Because you're telling God, Lord, I, I believe you exist, but you just don't move me anymore. I believe you're real, but you just don't excite me anymore. Wow. Does His love move you? Does His love matter to you more than anything else? And honestly, that's really the only kind of love that means anything, is that kind that puts priority. If my wife said, I love you, but you know, if somebody else better comes along, then... well, that wouldn't be... That wouldn't be much love, would it? How much does His love matter to you? How much does His fellowship matter to you? The closest matter to you. Do you and Jesus have a love story? If so, how's it going? How's your love story going with the Lord? Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have to open your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you do the work that needs to be done here this morning. God, you know. Lord, I pray for our fellowship, our closeness. Lord, may we examine our lives where we are in proximity to to you this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for the promise that you gave us when you said, if we'll draw nigh to you, you would draw nigh to us. May we claim it this morning. We'll stand together all over the building. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. How close are you to the Lord this morning? How's your closeness with God? How's your love story with Him going?